I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respect to their elders past and present. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. My name is Emma Race and I'm pretty pleased to be back with the Sanctum crew this week because, to be honest, the world is a lot right now. Of course, I cannot pilot the Sanctum without my football loving lady meets. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Lucy Race. Hi, I'm Nicole Hayes. Hi, I'm Kate Sear. Hi, I'm Julia Kiera. Hello, my ladies. It is so good to see your faces today. The AFLM Home and Away season wraps up this weekend. Does it feel like that crept up on us because we were all being distracted by the Olympics? I, I must say I feel like it has crept up on us, but also that the season's been going for nine years because 2021's been going for nine years. Like it's such a strange feeling, my relationship to time. But also too, I must admit, like my engagement with the AFLM this year has wavered like because you know just of the the world we're living in and so I feel like there are some weeks when I haven't fully paid attention maybe that's because my team hasn't been great but yeah here we are and it's exciting to be at the pointy end of the season. It's exciting for D's, cats, power, dogs, lions, swans, giants and bombers. Nicole, any unexpected crew that's made it into the eight for you? Oh look I probably wasn't expecting Essendon. And, I mean, they might not. Like, who knows? This is the beauty of what's happening uh, the next couple of weeks. We've got one more game. But then that bottom spot's still very much in contention and there's a little bit of room for for movement. Look, can I take a minute to celebrate (laughs) the Hawks giving the dogs a bit of a run and (laughs) making things a little bit harder for them? I just love it when those teams that basically have nothing to lose have that opportunity to kind of shake things up and give everyone a bit of a scare. And the Saints could do it too to the Dockers. I mean, that, that last spot, that's still in contention, so it'll be interesting to see. Lucy? Well, I'm looking forward to this game with Melbourne and the Cats on the weekend. So if Melbourne win, they finish on top of the ladder, which would be the first time that's happened in 57 years. There's been a lot of talk about poor Melbourne and if they do make it into a grand final, what that will mean if the grand final isn't in Melbourne and their fans can't be there. But I like to get my Melbourne news from Titus O'Reilly. In his newsletter this week, he said he would take a Melbourne premiership even without a crowd because as D's supporters, they can't be too choosy. He did go on to say, though, that he would love to have an era. It looks like fun. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it might be an era about to begin for the Giants. That would be exciting. Julia, how do you feel about the Giants? Are they a team? Look, they are are one of my son's favourite teams. And speaking of the latter, he's finally... You know, he's five. I've spent five years trying to get him into footy. He has come to it through the strangest of avenues, and that is numeracy and studying the ladder. So on the weekend, 
uh, after every game, he comes in with the ladder and he's like, the demons have gone up. They've got four more points or whatever it's happened. And now that we're in remote learning, I'm taking every tiny little bit of numeracy acquisition that I can get. Probably can't spell anything, pronounces Carlton, Carlton, but... um, <laughs> Isn't that how it's pronounced? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know where he's got it from. My partner insists he's got it from me, but I don't know about that. <laughs> One massive thing that's happening in the AFL-M this week and we've been celebrating the man... Eddie Betts is going to retire and he himself in a, in a press conference today said that he was prouder of the stuff that he's achieved off the field than on the field. And it's a salient reminder of when we started this podcast a long time ago that we were really concerned about things that happened in the outer and felt that, you know, the game as a whole was really only concerned with what was happening on the field. And Eddie has been such a flag bearer for all of those moments. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to just indulge in some Eddie Betts moments and some of our favourites. For me, it has been that from the get-go, always been a flag bearer for the AFLW. And you'll remember those beautiful scenes of him with the Adelaide girls when he was at Adelaide. And always, I see him at Carlton all the time. When I go down to Carlton Women's Training, Eddie's always hanging around down there and being helpful and sharing his knowledge and his support. And I just, it's very rare to see an AFL M player of his stature giving his time and being so vocal and so present and supportive of the W. And I just love it, Julia. You've probably seen him around Carlton more than anyone. Yeah, well, the memory that really sticks out to me is at the end of the 2019 grand final at Adelaide Oval, the game was Adelaide versus Carlton. We remember it, huge crowd. Carlton got absolutely smacked. And he was an Adelaide player at that time. And I know that he went into the Adelaide rooms after the game as they were celebrating. But he then came into the Carlton rooms with his partner and kids. And I think that meant a lot to the girls that he still came there as everyone was commiserating or a bit shell-shocked by what had just happened getting beaten by so much but in such a spectacle and it was it was a really lovely gesture and stayed for a long time and spoke to a lot of people. Nicole what are some memories of Eddie Betts that you will take with you forever? Just love how he the solidarity especially amongst the Indigenous players has really been come to the fore like just really in the last couple of years where it's I don't know clearly bringing everybody together but also it feels like something we can all share in so he and he's done that over and over again. Lucy you're getting a bit misty-eyed there. I am a bit I love his passion for education and that's something that I think he'll continue to really be involved in as he hangs up his boots. But I have a lovely little personal memory of when my son was maybe six or seven and he went to a junior footy clinic and Eddie Betts was one of the featured players. And when I turned up to pick up my son, there's Eddie on the oval with about 50 young kids that have all pulled their shorts down to make them as long as they possibly could be <laughs> chasing him around the field. And it was just, it was just beautiful because it really showed how much of a role model he is. And I love the fact that he has taken that on and 
is trying to make this world a better place, not just football, but this world a better place. So I hope people continue to look up to him as a role model. Kate, you've loved Eddie Betts all these years. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, who doesn't love Eddie Betts, to be honest? What he's done on field is almost unparalleled. He's been such a delight to watch. But for me, it's what he's done off field. I think we saw the the toll that that has taken on him last week when he looked, or the week before, when he looked like a pretty devastated man talking once again about racism in the game. And I just wanted to acknowledge him for the the courage of his advocacy, really, and the, the generosity of spirit, the generosity that takes to kind of just put yourself out there over and over and over again. And I was reflecting on this in the last couple of days and thinking all of us have been in situations and many of our listeners will have been in these kinds of situations too, where you've been the person at the family dinner table or maybe at the at your workplace or maybe out to a meal with friends where you've sort of felt like obliged to kind of call someone out on something or just gently challenge something that someone said, whether it's about race or, or sex or sexuality, uh, poverty, homelessness, whatever it might be. And it's, of, it's often very uncomfortable to be the person who does that. And it does take a toll. And I just think it's enormously courageous of Eddie Betts to have given so much of himself to the nation for such a long time and to have done that work and to have had such an enormous impact on the public conversation about race. And so I admire him greatly for that. And he's a person who deserves to go off and retire and enjoy his retirement and do whatever he wants to do. He owes nothing to us as a community. If he does choose to stay engaged with these issues, I really can't wait to see what he does. Okay, you're ready to roll up your sleeves in Malay, ladies. The AFL made an announcement that AFLW licences would be handed to the four remaining clubs who weren't already in the competition. They'll come in at the end of next year. Of course, it was a huge and momentous moment. I think because I was expecting it so much, I didn't expect to be as emotional as I was. And we had so many lovely shout-outs from people who were saying, we know that this will mean a lot to the Sanctum and we really appreciate that. But we're really pleased to be included. Being included is really nice. <laughs> I think that was the lesson. I was really pleased to see Gil make tribute to pioneers, the people who had gone before. And I did receive a couple of messages from people from the AFL last week and they said, and I mentioned that I was touched to see that and they said we haven't been so great at that in the past and we look forward to reconciling that issue. Julia, I wonder how it landed with you. It's exciting. I think last week I spoke about kind of the search for legitimacy in AFLW and there is something about now every club having a team that does make the competition feel more legitimate and, you know, you just think that there's four big clubs with a bunch of passionate supporters who now can invest wholeheartedly. But I think the next part of that is how do we make it more legitimate? You know, we've, we've got 18 teams now. Do they play each other once? You know, that's that's a 17-round season. We're, we're, we're a long way from that right now. So I'm hoping that something changes along those lines because I think now if we've got 18 teams and kind of half of them play each other, that feels delegitimate. The question has always been, you know, is there enough talent about expansion? Is the talent coming on fast enough to kind of fill in the new teams as they've come along? And now we've got these four new teams, two coming out of Victoria, one out of Sydney and one out of Adelaide. Adelaide is an interesting one. We feel like they probably do have the talent. I'd be I'll be wondering if there's a few conversations perhaps happening with a 
Aaron Phillips or a few other Adelaide players have retired about trying to lock them into coaching roles at Port Adelaide or maybe Adelaide. I, I'm not very a journalist like you, Emma, but I would be surprised if those conversations aren't happening. Sydney will be interesting about how they attract talent. I think that they may find it easier to get interstate talent. I know that players perhaps have not necessarily wanted to move to Sydney to live in Blacktown, but they might move to Sydney to live in Newtown. And of course, you know, we know that the New South Wales talent pool itself is is coming on every year, but it, it did start well behind. There'll be Sydney Academy players and hopefully they'll find a home. But the big question for me, and I know that we try not to be too Vic-centric, is that there's two teams coming out of Victoria, but we have been the most kind of COVID-impacted state. It's been two years where players have been really challenged. This year, at least, they did. we did get some footy going. We got some VFLW. We got some NAB happening. But there's this huge break happening now and I, I do wonder about how uh, how, they, the, how they are just impacted in terms of their development, not having access to a gym, all that kind of stuff and whether we're going to see that, whether that will show itself in two years' time or 18 months' time when it starts. I think it might. What are your thoughts? It's an interesting one because we know that we've had to adjust our scores for people who have been affected by COVID in their schooling. It's possible that we're going to have to find different ways to recruit. Lou, I know that you and I had quite the emotional moment when Hawthorne was given a licence. How do you see all of the conditions that we've been fighting for and talking about being impacted by there being more bodies and, and more people invested in this game? Well, I think it's really positive. I think it will have taken probably close to six years. We, I think, now can say we're at a baseline when we have all 18 clubs having a women's team as well. I saw a great interview with Darcy Vessio during the week and she was saying it's hard to push for what the players really need when you don't have the investment of all of the clubs. That's the other part of this, that talent and on-field is really important, but it can't just be symbolic. We need to have true inclusion. We need to really be making sure that through all of those football clubs that women are involved in governance and that pay and conditions, particularly around the pre-pre-season, the part-time nature, how much are we asking of these athletes and how much are we you know, willing to pay them to make those sacrifices. I think all of those conversations we can really have now when we've got all of the clubs in the same situation. And so that's my great hope. I'm hoping that um, the, the, you know, there is that need to sort of as you say, go deeper and wider to look for talent. And there's very definitely been a dearth of Indigenous players from remote communities for very obvious reasons, that part-time nature and the fact that there isn't the support and the resources available that there is for the AFLM has definitely provided obstacles, presented obstacles to Indigenous women. And hopefully this will, I mean, just the need for expanding on the talent pool might in itself drive this, but it also does add to that need to be prepared to invest properly in order to do it in a meaningful way and to attract talent and hold on to them. I mentioned at the top that Gil had mentioned pioneers in his speech. This week, Helen Lambert died and she has been a real pioneer of footy here in Victoria. And in fact, the Lambert Pierce Medal is named after her. And we just wanted to take a moment to recognise that we wouldn't be having this conversation without people like Helen Lambert and we wanted to honour her. 
one thing that we saw in response to the AFLW licences being handed out was that AFLM started trending on Twitter. It's always funny to me when I see it start trending and when I start to see the response and the reaction to it on Twitter and, you know, I, 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 we see this all the time. So there's really nothing new in the kind of discourse that you see on social media about those of us who use AFLM to distinguish between the women and the men's competitions. But once again, there was a lot of public resistance to it being deployed last week. And, you know, and there were many people on social media complaining about the use of this additional letter, saying that it was kind of pointless and stupid and and also inaccurate. And there's kind of nothing more ironic to me <laughs> in a way than and people complaining and uh, about the apparent, you know, unimportance of an extra letter <laughs> while vehemently protesting the addition of an extra letter. What better proof that symbolism really matters, right, than seeing those reactions to it? What I wanted to reflect on is why it is that, that the AFL hasn't embraced this movement because when Gil, when Gil announced the addition of these four extra clubs last week, one of his opening lines, and I'll quote here, he said simply, the competition is now whole. And that's true in one, I think, very particular and quite specific sense, but it's not whole in many other senses. And, you know, you, you've all just mentioned some of them, you know, pay conditions, etc., the length of the competition and so on. But also, too, we still have this symbolic distinction between being drawn between the men's and the women's competitions. And I think for as long as that continues, it does really reflect and reinforce a symbolic devaluation of women in the women's comp. And I think it needs to change. And what I feel really positive about is that lots of people have started reporting on social media that when clubs do their annual end-of-year fan surveys, Clubs are using the language of AFLM and AFLW to draw those distinctions. And we actually hear anecdotally, and we've heard it actually directly from some people within Clubland, that on the ground in everyday use, the language of AFLM and AFLW is circulating. So clubs are embracing this language, probably, you know, in part because it's just practical and easy. But also, too, I hope because they see the importance of recognising this distinction and as we see an influx of even more women into clubs now with the addition of these four new teams and this becoming whole, as Gil calls it, I would like to see an adjustment in language and I will not stop advocating <laughs> for the name of the competition to be changed to AFLM until it happens. So I'm sorry, I'm a bit like a dog with a bone with that, but I do think it matters a lot. We need a meme where the village people singing, why am Kate's here? I uh, I had to laugh. We all had a giggle over Will McDougall's tweet where he said, "Sorry, I'm a traditionalist. I will not refer to it as AFLM. To me, it will always be VFLM." It <laughs> 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 was golden, wasn't it? It's totally. just it's actually becoming a bit of a spectator sport in itself, just to watch people tweeting AFLM. I used to get scared of it, to be honest. Like, a lot of this stuff can be scary, but the AFLM conversation now just makes me squeal with glee. I have to say, and I don't know how you guys feel, but when you're doing an event or involved in a panel or a public space that's not an AFLW space, do you pause <laughs> when you go to use it? Do you hesitate? Do you think twice? Because I know a couple of times... I've not used it. I've qualified. I've said the AFL and I'll say for the men, obviously. 
But um, I may, it's my sort of my new determination is that I will never balk from the M in no matter what my audience, no matter who I'm talking to. So, you know, you can hold me to that. It's such a secret handshake, isn't it? Lucy, there was a story that, that came up for young girls who weren't going to get a chance to play finals in the EDFL and people power seems to have done its trick, Lou. It does. And I think a lot of our listeners will have seen this on social media. What we've been seeing is COVID just wreaking havoc all over the place. And, you know, one big place where that's happening is in junior sport. When the EDFL announced they would be changing up the finals, uh, the way the finals worked for some of their clubs, one of the big glaring differences was that the under-12 boys would have the top four teams playing finals, but the under-12 girls would only have the top two. What we saw was a fight back that was led by the players, namely an 11-year-old named Marley, who initiated a petition which gathered over 8,000 signatures and got heaps and heaps of traction from lots of very famous AFLW people like Steph Kiyochi. And really that publicity brought the story to the mainstream media. The result of this has been there was actually involvement with the state government, with Minister Rod Spence and AFL Victoria, and it has led to a reinstatement of all finals. I just, I loved seeing it. I loved seeing the fact that it was driven by young girls who saw that there was inequality in the way that the competition was going to be going forward and that they weren't prepared to just sit back and take it. And, you know, who knows, maybe no one will ever get to play finals this year anyway, but I I still think it's a win. I take it as a win too, and while it might be a symbol of what's to come when COVID-allowing finals can happen, it's also a huge symbol of the fact that these girls have got the language to be able to speak their feelings about it. They have traction They have a platform to do it. The technology allowed them to amplify their voice and a real symbol of where we're at, that people got behind it and didn't laugh at it and didn't say, well, girlies, you just wait, you know, until it's your turn. And that actually people power in this space is making a difference. It's a really big moment. It's I think it's a huge moment for our community that people got behind it and that it has actually been changed because it's bad for business now to be seen as not being gender equal in sporting clubs. And you, I, I like that Ros Spence got involved. I wonder if you dug very deeply whether you would see these were clubs that had enjoyed getting funding for gender equal change rooms and I think that you have a huge responsibility on your shoulders if if you're looking after community sport now and that that cannot ever be overstated how damaging it could be in the public domain. For me a really important question is why on earth this decision was made in the first place you know we can we can and I think we should celebrate the fact that a stance was taken and that the decision has been reversed but Conversations should be happening within that league and indeed other leagues who might have considered doing something similar or perhaps had plans to do something similar. Maybe there were leagues that also already, you know, were doing something like that and we just didn't hear about it because we didn't have someone like Marley putting their hand up. But those conversations do really need to take place. They reflect a whole bunch of assumptions about, you know, who values and who matters and and we know we've heard talk about this in the past that, you know, sometimes parents have pushed for boys to get more access, more games. If, you know, push comes to shove and, you know, we can't have everybody play because of COVID, that, 
you know, some want the boys to be prioritised because they think of them as having a not just a greater claim to the game and more legitimacy and uh, being more, more kind of naturally or inherently entitled to play, but that they have pathways that are more deserving than those of girls. Well, that's just not true. Certainly not true anymore in this new era where we have an entire a whole competition of AFLW to look forward to. And and so those conversations, I think, need to, need to happen. And I would love to see the EDFL actually come out publicly and explain the process and and reassure all of us who love and support the game that a decision like that won't be made again going forward and that it was a mistake this time around and um, that we won't see it again. Yeah, I'm just it did remind me of the COVID response by the AFL last year. There was almost no consideration given to how to complete the AFLW season, even though we're into finals. All of the time, all of the energy, all of the resources went into making sure there was an AFLM season. So, you know... It starts at the top. Yeah, and if we're talking about how those messages are trickled down to the local league, like for most people, that is their, that is where they football exists for them. It's for taking their kids, playing themselves in, in local leagues. And I think we're kind of seeing some some true colours pop out now in local leagues with their decision, with this, with the EDFL, recently with some racism issues with the NFNL that have come to light. We really need to see what is happening in those leagues. I think for a long time they've operated out of public view and they've been operated by largely people that have been in those roles for a really long time. It's a bit of a thankless task to be involved in community sports, so I'm not trying to cast nasturtions or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> um, but those leagues have been asked to change quite a lot in a short amount of time. I think that that's what they would say, but they actually need to change heaps faster because the public expectation is that they become much more inclusive and much more diverse than they have historically been. And I think we're starting to see these issues come to light because the powers that be in those organisations are digging their heels in. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm Ali Blackburn and you're listening to the Yadda Sanctum. There was another win that we had this week when the Sanctum's own Rana Hussein featured on the ABC sports program Offsiders on Sunday morning. It is must-watch TV for any sports fans. To see her there and see her representing in a week where the conversation had been about racism in footy and I thought she represented herself and, of course, the Sanctum absolutely beautifully. The thing that I wanted to talk about today was the fact that Rana was the first and only person that I saw on any panels on TV discussing this who acknowledged that the conversation would land really differently with First Nations people. What The point that she was making was that while she is a person of colour, she's not a First Nations person and she acknowledged that in, in her conversation on Offsiders and I thought that that showed such an immense knowledge of an understanding of the landscape 
and it just set her apart from every other person, probably with the exception of Tony Armstrong, that I had seen on TV discussing it. And when we talk about symbols, I just thought it was a really important point that while people were cross about the way that Eddie Maguire handled himself on Footy Classified, talking about Taylor Walker, I wanted to make the point that Eddie Maguire left Collingwood saying that he wanted to do better and he owns that platform of Footy Classified and he also owns the Sunday Footy Show and none of those shows feature any people of colour, of any descript. They are all white, mostly male former players and there's no diversity there. And I actually just thought when we talk about walking the walk and he has sworn to us black and white that he was going to change he hasn't handed the microphone to anyone who doesn't look like him and that means that the conversations that they're having on those panels are always going to be stunted and I thought that what Rana demonstrated was an extension on the conversation and I was really proud to be a colleague and a friend of hers on Sunday when I was watching her and I thought that she really changed the conversation and added something to it. We see a lot of symbols in the fight against racism and I actually wonder how effective they are, Kate. Yeah, it's a good question because we saw one on the weekend. Well, we saw more than one on the weekend. For instance, we saw the the players um, and and officials from um, the St Kilda and Collingwood game gather in a circle and link arms and we've seen those kind of gestures in the past, we've seen, you know, photographs over the years of players from opposing clubs coming together and standing side by side. And in fact, one of us did uncover one of those old photos during the week, quite ironically forgotten it, but there was a photo of Taylor Walker and Eddie Betts together taking a stand against racism from a, a couple of years ago. And when you see images like that, one of the common refrains you hear in public discourse is that those sort of symbols don't really mean much. Those kind of efforts, those gestures are pretty hollow and and, and tokenistic and, and meaningless. The same kinds of critiques that are made of people who take the knee are uh, you know, the same kind of critique that's been made of Colin Kaepernick for many years, that that kind of gesture doesn't matter. And as I said earlier, you know, I think when talking about AFLM, there's there's no better proof, I think, that a, that a symbolic gesture really does matter and has the potential to affect the world than looking at the way people react to it and how vehemently and passionately people respond to it. I think that tells you a lot. It I think it suggests that gestures always have an effect on the world or have a potential to have an effect on the world. They move us, they cause us to think, they encourage us to, to kind of think about issues in a different way. And in that sense, I think gestures are always really, really important. But for me, I think we have to always assess the value of those symbolic gestures alongside other forms of action and inaction that accompany them. And um, that is often reflective of the extent or the depth of commitment to a case. So we often see players coming together, as I mentioned earlier, linking arms or standing together with one another. I think those things work and they matter and they have an impact. But if then separate to that and behind the scenes, you're acting in a different way or behaving differently, if you're a media outlet, as you said, M, that is not committed to diversity, if you're, if you're saying there is no room for racism on our network and then you platform people who have in the past said things that are really problematic and you don't, you don't tackle that, you kind of have the same very narrow conversations 
about race and you don't bring in new voices and be prepared to be challenged, then then I think we're entitled to raise questions about the depth and extent of commitment to change. So I, I'm a big believer in symbolic gestures. I think they're powerful. They really matter. Look at what happened in the Olympics, you know, with the IOC trying to ban people from raising a fist or taking the knee or ban journalists from even placing those photographs on social media and sharing them. It, it has to be accompanied by a real, deep, genuine commitment to change and self-reflection. And I don't think that happens anywhere near enough. Ah, Tazzy, if you know it, you'll love it. They deserve a footy team. They really do. I cannot believe how powerful the Tasmanian footy legacy is and that they're still having to beat the drum about this. Lucy, you've been following the story. Yes. So last week we saw the Carter report handed to the AFL Commission and this was a report into the viability of a team for Tasmania. The main finding is a positive one, is that there is a case for a Tassie team. Where it gets a little bit muddy is in how that happens. There are three options that were considered. The first is a standalone team where Tassie gets a 19th licence. The second option is to relocate an existing team. And the third option is a joint venture between a Victorian team that might play games down there. So uh, that's like a, the situation that we see with North, with AFLW. For mine, those second two options annoy Tasmania and potentially disenfranchise a whole lot of fans in Victoria. And I think that that's been the way that this report's been received. The other thing that's tricky about it is there's no timeline and COVID is probably to blame here that there's the financial stress that the clubs and the league are under at the moment can't be minimised. I read that it's costing $6 million a week just to keep the season going. And there are collective lost revenue of about $700 million. The AFL Commission don't want to put you know, put a decision to the clubs when they're already under financial stress. What that means is, yes, yay, the Carter Report said we need a team in Tassie, but how we're going to get there isn't really clear. And I think when you don't have a really clear roadmap and a timeline on how you're going to get there, things can take a really long time. I think that Tasmania needs a team. It should have had one, I would argue, before the Gold Coast. And in probably if you're going to relocate any team, I know that sounds ridiculous given the distance, but the Suns would be the most obvious. They're clearly not coping. There's not a, The area is not big enough for uh, to support at the moment to AFLM sides. Having said all of that, there's actually quite a lot of, there's a time pressure on here because the Tasmanian Premier said that the contract with Hawthorne and North Melbourne ends at the end of the year and he has said they're not going to sign it again without if a decision hasn't been made by the AFL in terms of actual timelines and and commitments. So it's really an interesting time. I mean, if Gil McLaughlin wanted to have a Tasmanian team, it would have happened by now. Yeah. Do you actually think that the AFL will care whether or not the Premier signs? I mean, that would become a problem for Hawthorne the North. It doesn't necessarily become a problem for the AFL. What's interesting is the report does make it clear that, um, you know, Colin Carter says the onus is not on Tasmania anymore to prove that they need or deserve a team. The onus is now on the AFL to make a decision. And But, you know, for me there's just some, there's something very frustrating and very painful about the fact that um, it's treated as a business case first and foremost. And, you know, that language is reflected in the report itself. Uh, Carter talks about products and markets and 
um, and so on. And I know that we live in a world where those things are, are real and important and matter. And as you know, as Lucy said, the league is losing a lot of money, and those financial questions matter a lot. But there is something beautiful in the report I wanted to mention because I think it sort of underscores perhaps things should ultimately guide the AFL's decision because Carter writes that the AFL's purpose is, and I'll quote here, to progress the game so that everyone can share in its heritage and possibilities. And then later in the report he says it is not to maximise shareholder value but to maximise enjoyment of the game. I think that should guide the decision of the AFL and and I think in that sense, you know, Tasmania should be rewarded. They should have the 19th licence. I know we have to consider financial questions and the AFL, you know, is well placed to work its way through those. I'd love to see the Tassie Devils or whatever they might end up being. Would you really want them to be called? I mean, you would love there to be a team called the Apples. How about those apples? (laughs) (laughs) It's time for final business. I wanted to do a shout out to friend of the pod, Danny DeToro, who is going to be the captain of the uh, Paralympic team. Paralympics kick off on the 24th of August and I am absolutely, I'm already on the couch waiting for it. On the Paralympics, we're all really excited about it. Australia has such a strong team going this year, but there is some very sad news that the the Afghanistan Paralympian team, for very obvious reasons, aren't going to be able to participate. And it's extra sad because that was going to feature the first female Paralympian. So, I mean, it's a really horrible situation in Afghanistan. I'm sure this is not (laughs) the top of their priorities, but it is, you know, we've talked about symbols. It does say a lot. Lucy, you wanted to do a shout out to something that happened a couple of weeks ago. Back in July, there was a lovely conversation that was live with people there at the Wheeler Centre. It was a panel that was part of the Broadly Speaking series and it was called Ahead of the Game, Sport, Storytelling and Symbolism. It was hosted by Ange Pippos and the panel included Courtney Hagen, Joanne Lester and the very busy and our very own Rana Hussain. It was such a rich and thoughtful conversation and there's something I just want to mention here. It's another thing that Rana said because she's a very wise woman. She made this point about media and sporting organisations and wanting them to think about who they serve. And I'm going to quote her here. She said, if we don't mean all women, then let's be specific about who we're talking about. If our programs and initiatives are for white women, then are we comfortable to say that now? And it was such a salient point. There was a lot of applause and a lot of people nodding very strongly when when she made that point. But if you weren't able to be there and if you weren't able to see the recording of it, Kate O'Halloran has written a match report, which is fantastic. And I will put a link to that in our show notes. That's lovely. And Nicole, you had some news out of Queensland. Yeah, it's just a congratulations to Emma Zilke, the Brisbane inaugural and premiership captain who has had an award named after her, the QAFLW Best and Fairest Award, has been named in her honour and congratulations, Emma. Can I just chime in with an Omen Watch, by the way, because there's so much Brisbane-related content going around at the moment. There's there's that you mentioned, Nick. Uh, there's the fact that Brisbane are going to host the next Olympic Games and also the Brisbane theme song was played at the end of the Tokyo Olympics. I don't know if you... <laughs> all heard it and um for me I wonder if this is an omen that Brisbane are going to win the men's flag that would that would mean that they've won both 
the men's and women's comps this year, and that'd be pretty amazing for footy. You know, it was surprising this week, and I think that we actually should always bring you a tidbit from the group chat. And there was a lot in the group chat this week, but the one that did blow our minds was when we were talking about Barbara Streisand, the one and only. <laughs> and of all of the Sanctum members, there was one who basically said, "She is my kin, and I can verbatim." Uh, repeat every word she even says in between songs <laughs> and it was you miss julia kiera yes i have a t-shirt barbara streisand timeless <laughs> i wear to sleep um it's very erotic what i'm a barbara fan i grew up in a barbara house what's up doc the way we were bit of yentl why settle for a piece of sky, all right? We grew up in a Barbara house too, but we were more the guilty album. You got us talking about, this, was, this is where it went to, it went from I grew up in a Barbara house to well, I grew up in a never nude house or I in a nude house. But it made us um, question what is your, what diva star were you born under? Mine would be Emma. Tina Arena, Aretha Franklin race because Tina and Aretha were really, before my best friend Beyonce and I got together, they were really the pillars of my life. And I'm very curious, would you guys be happy to share your diva name here, Lucy? Yeah, mine, I think I might have even outed myself on this before, but mine is Lucy Dolly Parton race. <laughs> And Dolly's Dolly's been really important to me for a really long time. I love country music. I don't like Westerners much. <laughs> I just prefer the country. This is a little bit of footy trivia for you. Is Peggy Dolly Parton O'Neill? And during lockdown, I'm mm. sure she's going to kill me for adding on this, she would send a Dolly Parton newsletter update to some of her friends and you could subscribe. <laughs> oh, I do love this. Well, my Twitter handle is Racy19 and the 19 is a link to Ms Dolly Parton whose birthday is the 19th of January. Mm. So hello, Dolly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've just gone full circle. Um, Nicole Hayes. Look, look, here's the thing. <laughs> I look, I went into a deep dive because I thought, who, who is my diva? Who would be the thing? And I spent some time with Aretha. I thought that would have been, but you've stolen her, M. So I'm going to go Annie Lennox, right? Just, I just remember her rage and her power and that was very formative for me in my mm. teen years. So I'm, I'm sticking with Annie. Mm, nice one. What about you, Katesia? Um... Celine Dion. I'm surprising without saying. But let me say, let me tell you why. Let me let me tell you why. Let me say something about Sing the why. direction. And <laughs> Don't say what you're about to say. No, 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 no. Um, no, the direction in which the group chat went uh, when we were talking about divas, divas. When we were talking about Barbara Streisand. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> not a lot to keep us occupied during <laughs> lockdown so the group chat's in overdrive and somehow we got to talking about interesting facts about divas um, and I think Felicity shared with us that Barbara Streisand has a, a shopping mall in in her basement she has an, an entire shopping mall reproduced I mentioned that Barbara Streisand had cloned her dog and she's got I think two dogs now that are a clone of an earlier dog and then I think Rana shared with us a piece of information that blew my mind and that was 
that when Celine Dion's husband sadly passed away a number of years ago, she got uh, a replica of his hand produced in, in brass and before she goes onto stage, she shakes his hand for good luck and then she performs. And I thought, she's my kind of woman, you know. I mean, I can see myself doing that. That's the sort of thing I would do. But let me also just say this to you before in all seriousness. I also read today that Celine Dion has her own clothing line for children's clothing that is gender neutral. Mm. And so kudos to Celine. She's actually quite the woman. Is it just backward blazers? (laughs) I think it's backward blazers and cowboy hats. (laughs) Because that's definitely gender neutral. It's a whole bunch of other things too, but let's not let's not start. Julia, I'm coming back to ask you just to round this conversation out. Is Barbara yours? I'd like. Yes, I think Barbara is mine personally because I think people don't really. It's hard to explain my connection to Barbara. But can I just have a friend of the pod be my diva and just be Julia Liz Stringer Kiera? Sure can. Diva. I don't think she's diva. I think she's just. I'm reclaiming. Whatever you think diva means to be listra. Okay. Okay. You're looking for some Twitter love. I see what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Ladies, it is almost chairs on tables time. But before we get out of here, just a reminder that and a thank you that you've all been absolutely amazing on socials. We've been getting some great reviews. We talked about it last week. It's really important now that we're independent ladies. We do need your support on socials. We need you to rate and review us. We need you to tell a friend. And you also need to remember, and a lot of you did remember, that there's now two pods a week. It's so exciting. We had the glorious Lisa Alexander dropping some truth bombs from the coaching parapet last week and we've got such a special treat lined up for you this Friday. Have I missed anything, ladies? I think that's it. There's only one thing left for us to say and that is... Go go footy! footy. (laughs) (laughs) You have to use that. (laughs) Go! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.